Good afternoon, and welcome to the Middle East Forum Speaker Webinar Series and the podcast, Israel Insider with Ashley Perry. I'm Stacey Roman, and I will be moderating this discussion today. We're pleased to have Mr. Ashley Perry, advisor to the Middle East Forum's Israel office, join us here each Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern to update us on all the events going on in Israel. Mr. Perry will be giving us a briefing on current Israeli affairs for 15 minutes, then open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type out your question. And now with no further ado, I will turn the discussion over to Mr. Ashley Perry. Thank you very much, Stacey, and good evening from Israel. Um, this week, we're going to you know, uh, sort of go back to our previous format. And last week, we had the honor, obviously, of listening to General Kuprabasa talk about the security and the defense uh, part of this whole issue, which obviously he has a lot of experience. Today, we're going to focus more on the political diplomatic. Um, and there's been a lot of events uh, surrounding this. First of all, it should be said that Israel is pretty much now fighting uh, or being attacked in some way on four fronts. We obviously have Gaza. Today, we had Lebanon for the third time. Rockets were shot across the border, this time actually going further more south than ever before, and sirens went off in Haifa, uh, which means that pretty much uh, almost every single uh, citizen of the state of Israel has had a siren at some point over the last 10 days. Um, in the West Bank, Judea and Samaria, things have definitely heated up. There's been a lot of demonstrations, riots, attacks, uh, even if they don't make the news, uh, throwing of stones, uh, Molotov cocktails, uh, pouring oil, on the roads to make sure that Israeli um, cars slip off the roads and have an accident. Uh, there's been quite a few attacks in, in, uh, in the Hebron area. There was a shooting attack, a Palestinian woman started shooting at some soldiers uh, today, but she was neutralized. Um, there's been a few other areas. Obviously, within Israel, things have certainly calmed down within the mixed cities. There's still a certain amount of tension. I would actually say even a large amount of tension uh, today, there was a lot of talk about what happens when soldiers, uh, if they're allowed to not wear their uniforms when they go back to um, the mixed cities, because we saw a soldier, someone wearing their uniform, lynched when they returned to, to Jaffa, and also whether they're allowed to take their guns home with them. There was actually a bit of a demonstration um, by Miluim Nikim, people who do reserve duty on that issue today, and that certainly uh, caused... Uh, the IDF to rethink its policy. Um, so that, that's what's going on. On the, on the diplomatic front, we've seen tremendous pressure over the last few days uh, to try and push for a ceasefire. Uh, pretty much Russia, China, um, most of the European Union, with the exception of countries like Hungary, have been uh, calling for an, uh, an immediate ceasefire. That's why the European Union did not uh, release a statement because it couldn't uh, uh, form a uniform opinion because certain countries like Hungary, which are far more friendly to Israel, uh, would not sign on to it. But there's definitely been a lot of pressure. The German foreign minister is arriving in Israel tomorrow uh, with meetings uh, here with the foreign minister, defense minister, and also with Abu Mazen Ramallah. Uh, but the main sort of character of the, the main event was the conversation, the fourth, since the, uh, since the conflict began between President Biden and Prime Minister Netanyahu, and there was a readout sent out by uh, the White House, which basically said that uh, President Biden, I'm paraphrasing, said something along the lines of, um, 
we demand or we expect, I think was the word, a, a significant de-escalation starting to, today. That wasn't a call for a ceasefire, but it was a call for things to start petering off and uh, lowering of the tensions. Uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu almost immediately came out uh, and sort of in a not ironic way, thanked uh, President Biden for his support, and it is support uh, up until this point uh, for Israel's right to self-defense and Israel's position. Uh, but basically saying that this is not going anywhere yet. There's still escalation from Hamas, and we saw even tonight uh, dozens of rockets fired all over the south and not, not yet to the center of Israel, but the night is still young, unfortunately. Uh, we've seen usually late on at night, uh, uh, the residents of Tel Aviv and the central region have to run to their bomb shelters. Um, but what we do know is the Biden administration is really trying to put some pressure uh, on Israel to reach a ceasefire. The reasons are numerous. First of all, it's, uh, President Biden is receiving quite a, a lot of pressure from within the pres uh, 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 Democratic Party, especially from the left. He's receiving a lot of pressure from the Europeans and others. Uh, but so far, he has managed to uh, push off any uh, Security Council declaration, and the latest one has been rejected uh, by the US uh, uh, UN ambassador. So as far as on the international institutional level at the UN, uh, President Biden is giving uh, Israel still significant support, but definitely patience is running out. President Biden needs this to stop for his own reasons, uh, which leaves the players in the region. Why is this still going on and what, what, what can be done uh, and what is going to be done? Well, many people are talking about that victory moment or that victory picture. Um, both sides, Hamas and the Israeli government needs to end this, uh, both want to end this, uh, but they both need to come out uh, saving face. Now, what does that mean? As we've seen in, uh, let's start first of all with Gaza, with Hamas. Hamas started this. It's it's almost certain that they didn't expect uh, the response that Israel uh, uh, ensued. Um, they expected maybe a couple of days, maybe some bombings and then back to normal. They didn't expect the over, overarching response that Israel took in the first few days, uh, really taking out a lot of Hamas's technical capability, its intelligence, some of its senior commanders, uh, etc. Usually that's later on in a war, um, but the, you know, the first few days were quite overwhelming for Hamas. And ever since then, they've been looking for a way to get out and they were looking for a ceasefire even after a few days, there were talks of that. Um, but what they do need for their people, especially at this point, is some sort of justification. The justification going into this was Jerusalem. They were defending Al-Aqsa, uh, you know, the so-called holy sites in, in Jerusalem. So there's a feeling that they may do something in Jerusalem. Uh, there is a feeling that they may try and do a successful cross-border attack. Uh, the Israeli intelligence, the army intelligence and others are pretty confident that they will not be successful because definitely our intelligence, as this uh, conflict has shown, is much, much better. A number of years ago, uh, we were to a certain extent blind with what's going on in, uh, uh, in Gaza, but definitely uh, the fact that we're able to identify uh, Hamas uh, pressure points uh, militarily, uh, intelligence-wise, strategic leaders, uh, shows that our intelligence is far, far better. And there is a feeling there's a, a certain level of comfort that they won't be able to do a, a massive cross-border raid, but maybe something smaller. So they definitely need that on their end. On our end, 
the Israeli government, as we've seen before, there may be extremely strong support for the prime minister, for the government, for the IDF uh, throughout the war. But usually what happens is if there's a ceasefire and many people will say, what have we gained from 10 years of uh, 10 days or whatever it is of fighting? What have we gained? Now, the Israeli government could argue, yes, we took out this, we took out that. But that will ring a little bit hollow uh, if Hamas are still firing at the end of the conflict, which invariably happens. So Israel is certainly looking for their victory image, their victory headline. Uh, it came out tonight that Israel has tried to assassinate Mohammed Daif, who is the military leader, the shadowy military leader of Hamas. Twice he got away, apparently, according to Israeli officials, once in this conflict by the skin of his teeth. He would certainly be a big prize because he was the one, who's, he's, he's, he's the top of the chain as far as uh, the Hamas military wing, and certainly the most popular figure in Hamas at the moment. He's the one who, um, if we remember the scenes on the Temple Mount, uh, they were cheering for Mohammed Dave to launch rockets at Tel Aviv, uh, and he basically did. Uh, he's running the show. So to be able to take him out would be a, certainly a major, major strategic victory uh, on behalf of the State of Israel. But at the end of the day, the question is, where do we go? We've seen uh, in the past that these things come up every three or four or five years. So the question is, what can Israel do to make sure that this is the last round, or at least really severely dent Hamas's ability? We know Hamas uh, will claim victory, or will probably have some victory marches, victory parades, as long as they're standing. They have undoubtedly taken a massive blow uh, over the last 10 days. But at the end of the day, an organization like Hamas doesn't need much uh, to be able to claim victory whether that's is sufficient for their people who are definitely suffering uh, under Hamas's bombardment. Uh, that remains to be seen uh, because they, they, they put a lot of play into this uh, to be seen as the leaders of the Palestinian street, to be seen as the redeemers of Al-Aqsa of Jerusalem. So they are certainly looking for something to sort of end this conflict on. Um, and it does seem that, <coughs> that the days are wearing on. Um, I personally believe is unless something major happens that this conflict probably won't see out the weekend. Uh, again, it depends. Um, again, going back to the Israeli side, uh, there are certain other political uh, calculations. Far be it for me to say that Prime Minister Netanyahu, and I'm not one of these people who believes in this conspiracy, but certainly this conflict has worked for him politically uh, because the mandate for Yellow Pid is wearing on. I believe that we have 12 or 13 days um, the official line from Netanyahu's office is that no negotiations or talks of any, uh, any type have been going on during the conflict. We know that's not true. We do know that talks have been going on on all sides. We know that Naftali Bennett has moved from the change camp to back to the, the right wing camp. Now, uh, all eyes are on Gidon Saar. Gidon Saar would definitely complete that puzzle. And according to reports, He's willing to listen if he becomes prime minister first. So that moves from Naftali Bennett uh, being in the rotation to Gidon Saar. Um, the question is, is it serious? Is Gidon Saar serious? I've heard from Gidon Saar's people all along that there's no chance of them joining. Maybe there's a certain amount of pressure. Um, and I've even heard from others that this is just sort of a smokescreen. They're playing this out while the country is rallying around the prime minister, around the government. And if, as probably would happen, a ceasefire will dampen 
the popularity of the government and the prime minister, that's maybe an opportunity for both Saar and Bennett to go back to the change camp and try and uh, get something going there. Um, on the other sort of side of the change camp, you have Ram, you have Mansour Abbas, who was heavily criticized from within his party for visiting a synagogue and saying uh, certain things which, while to the average person may seem very neutral on uh, you know, the sort of civil war that's been taking place in these mixed Arab uh, Jewish cities, um, certainly do not play out well on the Arab street. And he's been censured uh, a few times by the Islamic uh, Shura Council, as well as people within his own party. Some even going as far as to say Mansour Abbas's days in Iran uh, are, are shrinking. Uh, that would certainly be a major uh, factor uh, to be taken in. But at, at this point, we just don't know. Uh, what we do know is that Lapid ha only has, I believe, 13 days left. Um, and so if this conflict ends in the next few days, that certainly gives Lapid <coughs> a nice amount of time uh, to try and you know, put back into place. And again, a lot will depend on the public feeling about how this war ends. That's extremely crucial, as I said, because while the support for Netanyahu and the government is strong, there's solidarity during war, how this war ends. If there's a feeling we, we didn't achieve anything, we're back to square one, that popularity for the prime minister will dampen and that perhaps could give the opportunity. Perhaps there's also sort of, uh, an opportunity messaging, which we're already hearing now, that there's a need for the change camp. There's a need for left, right, Jewish, Arab, all to sit together to, uh, to repair uh, the damage and the friction and the cracks within Israeli society. That's something certainly they'll try and focus on. Interestingly enough, today, as a sort of side note, um, was the last, in fact, is an hour and three quarters uh, for any potential presidential candidates in Israel. And we know the president is a, more of a, uh, a symbolic figure, um, but uh, the, the, the opportunity to present the candidacy uh, uh, ends at 12 o'clock tonight to do so. You need to have, excuse me, at least 10 members of Knesset sign, uh, sign your form. At the moment, we only have two candidates. Uh, we have um, Bushi Herzog, the former uh, head of the Labour Party, who actually received 27 endorsements from pretty much across the political spectrum, apart from the Arab parties who said that they will not sign anyone's papers while the conflict goes on. Uh, so that's pretty impressive. The other one is Miriam Peretz, a fairly uh, unknown figure outside of Israel. She became famous when two of her sons, I believe in two separate operations or conflicts, were killed. And she's really become, some would call her the conscience of Israel. You know, she's someone who has a very you know, positive outlook, even the fact that two of her sons were killed in war. She's a big patriot. She's won the Israel Prize. She's lit a, lit a, uh, a light on, um, on Israel's Independence Day, which is uh, considered a big honor. She's extremely well-liked whenever there are people whose children fall in wars. She's always there. She's always giving commentary. She's always giving succor to the family. Um, so she's quite a popular figure, but she certainly doesn't have the political mouse of, uh, of uh, Isaac Herzog, uh, who is the current Jewish agency head. Um, and certainly um, he has the advantage. Uh, and an additional point, which is very interesting, there is no right wing candidate. Miriam Peretz is certainly more on the right of center. She has, she's probably more of an Likud worldview. 
She has good relations with the Netanyahu family, but significantly the Likud has come out the last few days and said that they will give uh, freedom to vote as they wish. Sometimes there's a party whip, uh, but in this case, uh, Likud will not do that and they'll allow everyone to vote with their conscience, which certainly deals a great blow to Miriam Peretz because uh, to have the seats of Likud would be a significant way towards winning the presidency. Without that, it's very unlikely the left will rally around Herzog uh, the Haredi parties, the ultra-Orthodox parties, he has very, very good relations. Um, so it does seem that he's in the driving seat. The other two candidates who haven't yet given up, probably, even if they do manage to get their 10 members of Knesset, are not uh, particularly significant players. So it could be just Miriam Peretz against uh, Isaac Herzog. And uh, interestingly, uh, that election takes place uh, just hours before the end of uh, Lapid's mandate. So I'm sure that um, that particular vote will also have significance uh, for the political uh, machinations between all the different parties. So those are some of the things that are going on. I'm happy to answer questions about that, uh, those issues or anything else. All right, thank you so much, a lot going on. Uh, first question we have in is from Carrie Hildebrand. What are the chances that Hezbollah will open up a second front in the North? Does Israel have sufficient reserve munitions? Uh, yes, first of all, it does, and it has prepared itself over the years to fight on multiple fronts. At the moment, the rockets, I should say, uh, according to the uh, Israeli uh, defense assessments, are coming from Palestinian groups rather than Hezbollah. Um, just from the nature of the rockets and just from, again, the intelligence uh, uh, institutions, they do appear to be coming from Palestinian groups. Uh, that's not to say that Israel would not hold Hezbollah or even the Lebanese government responsible for attacks emanating from its uh, soil. But at the moment, Israel has, sh has not shown any great uh, stomach to get into a fight with Hezbollah or Lebanon. They have reacted. They've tried, uh, bombed a few uh, installations, nothing uh, too serious in Lebanon. And certainly it's in no one's interest, not Hezbollah, not Israel at this point, uh, to get into a, another major front. Um, uh, but obviously that situation can change if these rockets do land further, do kill uh, some Israelis, or even if Hezbollah get involved. But at the moment, the assessment is it's Palestinian groups in the southern part of Lebanon. Um, and while they are significant, they're not considered uh, too threatening at this point. Thank you. Uh, this question from Alex Brunner. If Israel has hit Hamas so hard, how come they still have the capacity to rain hundreds of rockets every day? I mean, that, that's, a, that's a good question. But the, the, the fact remains that Hamas has rocket launchers, mobile rocket launchers all over the Strip. And as I said, as long as there's some members, you know, is, Hamas has thousands and thousands of members. And Israel, you know, on, on, on the Gazan side, just over 200 people have been killed in total. Now, the majority of them are in some way Hamas affiliated, but when you have thousands more, you don't need much to, to be able to fire rockets. You just need a small brigade. Uh, if, it's, if it's Kassam rockets, smaller Kassam rockets, you can even move them around relatively simple. If they're mortars as well, we've seen quite a few mortar launchers, uh, they're even more simple. Um, so, you know, th th there's gonna be no way that Israel is gonna take out the majority of uh, the Hamas military wing um, and because they're mobile because they're relatively easy to make and move around uh, Hamas it, it's 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 unrealistic for Israel to be able to take out uh, Hamas's complete arsenal 
Thank you. This question is from Carrie. Uh, how do you see the normalization process with the Arab countries after these events? Um, well, the hope is, and, and I believe that it won't have too much of an effect. We haven't seen too much. We haven't heard too much. We've seen a rote uh, uh, from the UAE. We saw a rote uh, uh, sort of answer. When, when it comes to Jerusalem, there's, there's, there's a certain amount of feeling around that. You know, it's, it's, it's a big issue in the Muslim world. So we heard the UAE when, it, when the issue was about Jerusalem and the Temple Mount, Al-Aqsa. Then we heard um, them condemn what Israel is doing. But since then, we've actually heard UAE condemn Hamas more. Uh, it's easier. Uh, Gaza is not a burning issue uh, in the Muslim world. It is something which inflames passions in certain parts of it, but really uh, the leaders certainly have less sympathy for Hamas. And uh, as I've said uh, a few times, these normalization agreements were really centered, or at least they were midwife, through a mutual distrust or worry, concern about what's going on with Iran. And while all this is going on in Gaza and Israel, the, the, the meetings are carrying on in Vienna to try and get back to the JCPOA or something similar. And on that issue, there's really uh, not too much daylight between Israel and the moderate Sunni nations. Uh, so, and I think that will last far longer than this uh, particular conflict. So speaking of the EU uh, from Reuven Haq, what is the <coughs> EU's interest in Israel-Hamas reaching a ceasefire? I mean, there's, there's many layers to this. Uh, first of all, uh, especially in Western Europe, there's very large Muslim populations. And as we've seen with the demonstrations and with the attacks against Jewish communities, uh, this is an issue which inflames Muslim passions far more than Syria, far more than Turkey, far more than China, far more than all these other issues where Muslims are involved. Um, and you know, a lot of these politicians are hearing it from their, uh, their constituents. Um, but also, it's 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 a, you know the the EU is a sort of uh, as an international institution, as a multilateral institution, is very much against conflict, as they claim. Um, and there is a lot of sympathy for the Palestinians, uh, not necessarily Hamas, because Hamas is designated in many of these countries as a terrorist organization. But when they, you know, Sky News, BBC, uh, you know, the the channels in Germany and France, Belgium. Scandinavia <coughs> are constantly leading the news with what's going on in Gaza, very little about what's going on in Israel. Uh, there is a, an urgency uh, to ending this conflict, the likes of which you don't see in almost any other conflict around the world. So it's to be expected. What we do find is a lot more support from the Central and Eastern European countries. We, 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 we've witnessed in the last few days the Czech Republic and Austria flying the Israeli flag in solidarity over parliament buildings. We saw Hungary today uh, basically prevent a uniformity of, uh, of a declaration by the EU today. So in those countries, we find a lot more support. But in the Western countries, uh, because of those issues I've laid out, there's a lot more uh, desperation to get to a ceasefire. <coughs> Good on that. All right. Uh, so... The next question is, is there any significant opposition in Israel to the forceful military action against Gaza, particularly from leftist liberal groups and perhaps from rabbinic leaders? Um, well, not really from rabbinic leaders. Um, rabbinic leaders, if they're from the ultra-Orthodox camp, they haven't got any great interest in it. If they're from the religious Zionists, they tend to lean right. Um, <coughs> the liberal rabbinic 
religious camp is very small in Israel. It does exist, but it's, it's small. Um, but the vast, vast, overwhelming majority of Israelis understand what's going on because at the end of the day, we live it. You know, we have to, you know, I, 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 hear, I hear from family and friends who are merit supporters, who are far left, who are saying that Israel needs to do what needs to be done. In fact, I, I've been hearing from some of these people that Israel needs to go even further. Because don't forget, uh, for us, this is not just an image we see on our TV screens in a faraway location. For us, it's having to decide which children will grab at night if a siren goes off. It's having to worry that the next bomb could land on your friend or the, uh, on your head or the, or the head of a loved one or, or, or friend. You know, we, we see what uh, Hamas is about. Hamas is not a liberating force. Hamas is a genocidal organization which seeks our destruction. And we're in a sea of that, uh, uh, you know, rejectionism around us. We see the wider picture. We understand the context. We understand the fact that there are hundreds of thousands of people who can't go on with their life, children who are scarred maybe even for life by these attacks. So there is widespread understanding in Israel uh, for what the IDF is doing. And don't forget the IDF, uh, you know, has soldiers from the left to the right. You know, everybody sends their, sends their uh, children to, uh, to the IDF. So they're all hearing reports of what's going on. So that's why when it comes to these types of situations, uh, while there's less sympathy around the world, within Israel, it's almost wall-to-wall -wall, uh, sympathy and understanding for what the IDF is doing. Thank you. Um, so how does the Israeli public feel about the rest of the world and the negative news outlets coming through? And also, are there any signs that Hamas is wearing out its popularity among Arab public in Gaza? Um, so the first question, yes, there's, there's outrage, you know, there, there, there's barely a news program uh, of any type, day and night, on any channel which doesn't show the anti-Semitic lynches that are taking place. We just saw in uh, California uh, that uh, some uh, Palestinian uh, bullies got out of the car, uh, went into a restaurant and asked if there were any Jews here and started beating up anyone that they deemed as Jewish. We saw in London, uh, cars with Palestinian flags driving through the streets uh, in heavily Jewish areas saying we're going to rape your daughters, we're going to kill your mothers, all this sort of thing. We see attacks on synagogues around Europe and around America. Uh, we see the anti-Semitic uh, statements on Twitter. Um, so there's, there's a sort of disbelief, you know, why does the world not understand us? Uh, and, you know, the, the Israeli media loves to show what's going on in the foreign media and how they report it and how you know, it's deemed in Israel as extremely one-sided uh, one reporting. Uh, so Israel, you know, there's a lot of uh, feeling that, you know, the, the fact that these people in, in, in third countries go after Jews shows that they don't hate the Jews because of Israel. They hate Israel because it's the Jewish homeland, because there's no other reason why you go to Jewish uh, sites and institutions. If you're against Israel, you go to the Israeli embassy, maybe, you go to an Israeli site or, or whatever it is. But the fact that they go specifically to synagogues, to Jewish areas, to Jewish restaurants, and talk about Jews uh, shows really that this is, uh, for many of these people, just anti-Semitism. As far as the people of Gaza, it's hard to see. It's hard to tell because obviously it's a very tightly controlled uh, population. Um, but there is a feeling, and there was a feeling after, certainly after the last round, uh, that the people of Gaza were fed up with Hamas uh, doing these things. Of course, 
they don't cry over Israeli deaths and, and when they shoot missiles, but at the end of the day, the suffering uh, that they are under, they blame partly on Israel. And there is a certain uh, part of it, which certainly you'll hear from certain uh, uh, arenas that they also blame Hamas, but it's, it's very hard to gauge at this point. Thank you. So from Peter Chu, how widespread is support in Israel for the idea of Israel victory? Uh, that is, that the best path to peace is for the opponents of Israel to be left with no alternative but to give up their fight. Right. So this is certainly growing. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen a conflict uh, in recent years where the word victory is being talked about more and more. Uh, it's been defined, it's been debated. What exactly does that mean? Today we had um, one of the kidnapped soldiers uh, in Gaza because there's two Israeli uh, soldiers probably dead, almost certainly dead, but still their bodies, uh, who said that victory will mean only when we return the bodies. Um, that will be humiliation for Hamas and that's something necessary. Others are talking about we need to completely disarm Hamas. Uh, others have a much more broader, you know, we need to bring calm. Uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu uh, claims victory is bringing security uh, to Israeli citizens. What does that mean exactly? Um, but there is, a, I, I believe, again, uh, I haven't seen a poll yet, uh, but I think maybe the Middle East Forum will, will do a, a poll in the, in the coming days on this. Um, what exactly do Israelis want and what exactly does victory mean to them? Because there is a growing feeling that we cannot be doing this every few years. This should be the last round. Uh, and how does it achieve that? It breaks the will of the other side to continue fighting. That's something that Professor uh, Daniel Pipes, the president of the Middle East Forum, talks about a lot. And that is something very crucial. That's how wars end. That's how conflicts end. Because as the, the questioner asked before, you know, uh, how, how can, you know, why can't you stop every single missile? Israel can't stop every single missile. Physically, it's impossible in an asymmetrical war. What it can do is it can put such pressure on the other side that it basically understands that it's not in their best interest to continue fighting, breaking their will to continue fighting. And that's what a lot of uh, Israelis are starting to think about. How exactly do you do that? What are the pressure points for a terrorist organization which occupies land? How can you break its will to continue fighting? How can you ensure that this is the last round? How can you ensure that there are no more rockets even on the southern communities? And that's what uh, is, is currently a debate in, uh, in Israel, in the media, amongst commentators, but also on the streets. And I think the fact that the word victory is being used in this context far more than ever before, I think is a very positive thing and certainly gives the uh, decision-making apparatus something to think about. All right, thank you so much. And on that note, we've come to the close of our webinar and podcast. Ashley, thank you again for taking the time to update us this week. For our viewers and listeners, please join us Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern for a webinar with Brenda Schaefer discussing exposing the Persian empire. Thank you all for joining us and I hope you have a great day.